Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicharian of Sports Info Solutions, joined as always by our producer Justin Stein. And today we've got Jordan Edwards and Ben Herkosh from the SIS Scouting and Operations team to talk about some players. We're going to start talking about some draft prospects as we start to count down to releasing the SIS NFL draft site that we expect to be released to the public at some point next week. We will let you know. Keep an eye out for us at sportsinfo underscore SIS and at sportsinfosolutions.com. For the meantime, we want to talk about some of these defensive players in the draft. We'll get to offense next week with Nathan Cooper. But first things first, Jordan, welcome back to the pod. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about some draft prospects now. And I'm excited once we get, after talking about some of these players, to pick your brain about your Carolina Panthers and what they might do with that number one pick. But first, keeping it with the man that's been about as busy as anybody at SIS lately, Ben Herkosh. Ben, how are you doing? Hello, hello. I'm great. It's the best time of the year. We finally actually get to talk about dudes. Let's talk about some dudes. Let's jump right in. Ben, I want to start off with you because as soon as I brought up, hey, you guys want to come and talk about some prospects, you said, I can talk about Ivan Pace for days. Uh, let me just tee you up right there. Why Why can you talk about Ivan Pace for days? Yeah, so about a year ago, I was on this podcast talking about Jalen Petrie. I described him as a brick through a windshield and Ivan Pace is a brick that's three times as heavy and he's running through offensive linemen. And it looks like he's going to be able to do it at the next level. He is a five foot ten player, so size is obviously his biggest issue. He was a two star coming out of Cincinnati, Ohio, went to Miami, Ohio. Then his younger brother Deshaun was more of a, a size size weight speed guy, so he ended up at Cincinnati. Final year, Pace transfers to Cincinnati and walks in day one as a stud, absolutely leading the defense. You take a look at his bio on Cincinnati; they said that he had the greatest defensive year by a Bearcat ever. One year after Sauce Gardner. So this dude is an organizational shift. He's going to be a tone setter in every sense. And he's just going to be an absolute menace for anybody. I know Jordan did Torrance from Florida. Big fan of him. There's two two back-to-back plays in the Senior Bowl where Pace makes him look like he doesn't belong on the field. Which is hilarious for a 5'10 dude from Cincinnati. I believe their pro day is today. I've seen some reports about him running low four fives. He's faster than that on the screen with his pads on. GPS tracking is a big thing currently with the Cedar Bowl. Last year, I believe Tariq Woolen may have been the fastest, if not Christian Watson. You saw that translate immediately to the field in the NFL. I believe Pace was the fastest linebacker, potentially the fastest defensive player at the Senior Bowl. Really, that is something that you want to look at for someone that is undersized. He played above everything and dominated competition consistently. All right, but I got to take you back a second. I got to take you back a second. How high-end a prospect are we talking about here? Because, I mean, you mentioned Sauce Gardner. I think open and close case that he was the best defensive rookie in the NFL last year. Are we talking about that level of a prospect? You don't have the measurables there, of course, but, but where where could you see Pace kind of fitting in? Yeah, so it's a shame. He's born in the wrong era. If he's playing in the early 90s, he's a will for the Miami Hurricanes, and he's everyone's favorite player. He's got his abs out. He's got the extra bands on. He's he's swagged out as much as he can be. But in today's NFL, he does not fit in a perfect spot. He's an undersized Mike, or he's a Will that can't cover too well, which is a bad spot to be. Ideally, you're going to have him as someone that can freelance, potentially behind some big D tackles that are eat up some blocks. But yeah, he is not a first round prospect for probably any team. He's going to be lucky to go day two. But this is a guy that's proven everyone wrong his entire career, and I don't see him stopping now. 
Nice. I love love the passion. Not a player that I've that I've spent a lot of time watching. So I'm curious uh, always to hear more about that. Jordan, you had a chance to look at him at all? No, I haven't in depth as much as Ben has. But no, he's he was somebody I think that was all over our our leaderboards for our data hub and everything like that for linebackers. And so with what Ben said though about about him in the Senior Bowl against Torrance, I ended up watching that and. He was right. I mean, he the the physicality and toughness and just kind of that downhill, put his head down and run three kind of demeanor. It it showed up. It was one of those things where oh, you know, Osiris Torrance is like six all of six foot five, three hundred thirty forty pounds, and he just ran right through him and and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of attitude is something that you don't really see a, a lot in in defenders, especially at that size. And so that is something that you know could translate if he's definitely somebody that's going to be able to play on special teams i would assume right away and then maybe similar to what you know we saw with like hard knocks this year with malcolm rodriguez kind of that undersized athletic you know play with your hair on fire type of linebacker that just impresses everybody on the coaching staff and you kind of win over your teammates that stuff kind of translates as well and gets you onto the field too so i think that's just kind of one of those things where he'll translate over in more of a different way than athletically and kind of just and his size and all that kind of stuff where we typically like to see for first and second round linebacker prospects. But this guy probably can just play really anywhere in the league. Right. So I guess you know, the sort of like you guys sound like you're projecting more of like a Zach Thomas type trajectory here. The sort of undersized guy drops a little bit in the draft, but all he does is tackle people everywhere. You said he's kind of not big enough to be your ideal Mike, but but maybe doesn't cover well enough to be your ideal Will. Where do you see him fitting in best on the NFL level? Is he a is he a two down Mike on a three four team or or where is he fitting in? Yeah, so that's where he's going to start first couple of years for sure. He doesn't have a huge third down role. What will be his kind of crux of winning or losing is can he become a pass rusher? Because he has the instincts you don't see in anybody. He has a bend, he has a burst, and he had plays with just an innate leverage for that size that you don't see from anyone. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the arm leg. So you try to say, could he become 80% of Elvis, Do- Elvis Doomerville just to play on third down? He doesn't have those long arms that he can kind of stab an offensive lineman's chest or anything like that. It is agility, elusiveness, and instinct with just a determination to not stop. His balance is bonkers. There's so many times he's cut, he's on his back, and all of a sudden he's full speed rick chasing after someone. So he's going to pop up, he's going to get the muddy plays, he's going to crawl, he's going to get some some bear crawl sacks at the next level. But if he can turn into a legitimate pass rusher, that would be his best shot to play on third downs. Interesting. Interesting prospect to keep an eye on. I got to be honest, not like not an archetype that that I would generally be the most interested in, but I've known you and you're scouting out long enough, Ben, to know that you don't just pull these players out of a hat and say, you know, sometimes you talk to scouts that'll just have a million exceptions all their players are exceptions for one reason or another, anybody that they like. We, when you have an exception, there's usually something to it. There's usually an extra special aspect to that game. So sounds like a fun player. Let's flip over and talk about some higher-end players, though. I know you also have spent some time looking at Jalen Carter. Let's keep it on the field first, because I don't want to speculate about other stuff. And to be honest, based on what I'm understanding, I don't think the off-the-field stuff is really going to make a big difference. On the on the Jalen Carter could be wrong about that speculating whatever, but let's talk about the player. Yeah, as a player, this guy is a creative player straight out of Madden. He's six three, runs like a linebacker. I mean, there's nothing he can't do physically when he turns it on. 
he does have the classic high-end D-line prospect issue of is he turning it on every play and does he want to dominate every single play? Because as a lifelong Eagles fan, the first comp that came to mind when he puts it on is Reggie White. There is a physical dominance and a persistent pressure that is unstoppable with him. It is, it's, it's unteachable and it's something I really haven't seen before. Uh, and Donald can sue at Nebraska is something else that came to mind. When this guy puts it full speed, it's, it's eights across the board and he's unstoppable. The problem is the effort isn't always there and he gets caught up fighting against people that beat him. There are some, some, some tricky, some savvy offensive linemen that have gotten into his skin and he will focus on beating them or complaining to the referee instead of chasing down the tackle. So there is some mental stuff besides the off the field completely beyond the field it's not the person that you want it's not an either pace you're not having an either pace full speed you're having a guy that can beat everybody and knows he can beat everybody with ease yeah what i've seen with this player the the strength absolutely jumps off jumps off the screen when you see him there just manhandling not not anybody but like legit sec nfl prospect type players and for all the stuff where you know is he bringing it every snap and all that kind of stuff even though he didn't even play, uh, you know, every down this year, you look at when he was on the field, the sort of impact that he had, this is like this sort of rare defensive tackle that can pass rush that everybody's looking for in the NFL right now. And these guys are getting $20 million a year, you know, which is twice as much as like uh, a good tight end or something like that. So I think he checks all the boxes in terms of there. And then you look at the Georgia defense in general, I don't want to reduce it down to just one player, but look at how many players they put in the NFL last year, how good those players were. And we knew at the time that he was better than all of them, <laughs> pretty much. Like This is a little bit like when we had Jamar Chase come out a year after Jefferson. And as good a prospect as Jefferson was, we all that watched them side by side knew that Chase was even better or thought that Chase was even better this reminds me of that a little bit. It's like we've already seen him play side by side with people that can produce on the NFL level. And he was better than those guys back when they were playing on the same defense together. All he did was lead them back to another national championship. There's only one defensive player that 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 I'm more interested in than Jalen Carter in this draft. Jordan, where do you come down? Yeah, I mean, just like you said, I wrote up Trayvon Walker for our site last year. And so it was very apparent, even though he wasn't starting, that Carter was just as you know good or if not better and on the same you know or the the next tier as these guys up front for them and so you know and and those guys are really good players in their own right I mean Walker was obviously the first overall pick Davis was a a first round pick Devontae Wyatt was a first round pick as well so you know the explosiveness the quickness there's like you know it's it's hard to find these big dudes over 300 pounds that can play with the quickness and twitch that they do and so yeah, I think I saw at some point, I, I wish I could give credit to whoever said it, but like he, that they said that Jalen Carter time travels from gap to gap. Like that's how quick he is off the ball and getting from where he needs to be getting past, you know, offensive linemen into the backfield. And so, and then you pair that with just, you know, just brute strength to, to go along with it. It's, it's rare to find uh, in prospects. And so, but yeah, I mean, just like what Ben said, if, if there is, you know, something that can keep this guy's, you know, switch on from, you know, start to finish in a game and, and where he can play 60, 70% of snaps at the highest level that he can, then we're talking about probably one of the best interior defenders against the run and the pass, you know, in the league pretty quickly. So seeing him reminds me a little bit of like uh, Simmons, uh, Jeffrey Simmons out of Tennessee, 
I think that's like one of the the better you know comps I think that I've seen some people making just with the strength and athleticism, all that kind of stuff. And so, but yeah, I, th- I think you know walking into the league, this guy is going to be clear added addition for whoever whatever team he goes to. And I don't want it to sound as though he is purely physical tools. This man has accurate, active hands. He comes with a plan every play. His eyes are in the backfield. He's got it all, 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 all. It's just, is he going to dominate every single play? Because he can. Yeah, he is all kinds of upside. Confers favorably. Like you were saying, like even Jeffrey Simmons, I think you saw some of the stuff he like flashed on the film, but there was different concerns about him when he was coming out that I think I think Jalen Carter, you get an even clearer picture of what he what he might translate to. It's very hard to to imagine a world where Jalen Carter busts unless it's off the field and you know there's there's more than meets the eye sort of going on there. I want to hear Jordan though, I mentioned there is one guy that that I would put ahead of Jalen Carter on my own personal board and that is Will Anderson, who we'll see when the SIS draft site comes out, but Looks like he might be trending towards the top defensive player, maybe overall player on the SIS draft board. Will Anderson out of Alabama. We've been watching him for three years. All he's been is arguably the best player in college football for the last three years, especially non-quarterbacks. What do you what do you notice from Will Anderson as a prospect? And we'll give a shout to Jeff Dean, who's writing up the official report for him. Yeah, so Jeff wrote the official report. Like he said, he's a world traveler. He's somewhere halfway across the the, the globe you now on vacation, but we'll, we'll pick it up here for him. But yeah, I mean, just even, I remember, I remember the day that we were in the office and Will Anderson like broke onto the scene and Jeff just like literally just said, I got dibs on him right. writing his report. And so it was last year was the, like the, the first game of the season against Miami. It was a sophomore season and you know, true just, sophomore it, season. Yeah. 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 His, his, just, just, just to go over kind of his, just like the, the basic stats for, his college career, he had, I'm going to get this right. So he has 62 tackles for losses, uh, tackles for loss and 34 and a half sacks in his, in his career at Alabama. His sophomore season, he had 34 and a half tackles for loss and 17 and a half sacks with 102 tackles total overall. So he had half of his tackles for loss and sack totals in just one season at Alabama. And so that sophomore season is probably one of the best, you know, seasons we've seen from one individual player, even going back to like, you know, Tyron Matthew, LSU breakout year and Jalen Ramsey final year at Florida State type stuff. And so, and then he had another year to go off of it. And so not to say that he had a worse year this year, he was still really good. He just didn't, you know, capitalize on uh, and, and making those numbers look the same from, from his sophomore season, which would be really hard to do. But diving into him just as a prospect. He's- well, well, I, I, I want to pause you there because yeah, go on the numbers, I, I'd actually, so Two more games were played that that sophomore year than he played either of his other two seasons. So he had about 200 more snaps between the extra games being played and playing more snaps per game than he did either his true freshman year or his true junior year. That said, you start to look at some of the other numbers there. Yeah, the sack total was was 17 that, that one year versus 8 and 10 the other two years. But in terms of hurries, he had 47 hurries for in 2021. Outrageous. He had 20 hurries in 2020. Before you said like the quote unquote breakout game, he was already amongst yeah. the leaders in college football as a true freshman in hurries, just didn't convert quite as many sacks that year. And then another 31 hurries this year, nothing to nothing to sneeze at at all. The 81 total pressures again the, the sophomore year, 60 as a freshman, 53 this year. These, these are these are very impressive numbers 
like you said, maybe like less otherworldly looking, like from the sack standpoint. But look at the pressure rates. The pressure rate was 20% in that 21 year. In 2020, it was 19%. In 2022, it's 17%. Ridiculous, ridiculous numbers. My favorite one, the pressures over expectation number, which takes into account where you're lining up and sort of different contextual factors about the play. If you're going up against a lot of RPOs where you're not going to have an opportunity to pass rush, different things like that. His pressure is above expectation. 10% as a true freshman, above expectation. 10% as a sophomore, above expectation. And 9% is a junior, above expectation. Those numbers are ridiculous. Those numbers are like when Micah Parsons is is absolutely crushing it. He's just getting to those those double-digit numbers. And it's hard to sustain that over the course of the season. He sustained that over the course of his college career. He's getting 26% over his college career. He's gotten 26% of the pressures that Alabama has gotten while he's on the field. I mean, it's 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 really crazy how productive he has been. And then, oh yeah, all he, you know, when he's looking at the combine, all he is is 6'4", 250, 34-inch arms, and runs a 4'6". Like, I think this is, this is one of my favorite prospects that I can think of in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, th- this feels about as champ-ness as it can be. I mean, we've had some really good defensive players come out the last few years. Chase Young, obviously, has s- some injuries going on and stuff, but he was, you know, a high level. Nick Bosa, obviously, as well. Parsons was, you know, more of a question mark in terms of what was he going to do, but obviously, he has put a lot of that to bed and, you know, a lot of those questions to bed. And uh, he's playing like a, a, you know, a man possessed on the football field. So this seems like this is one of these can't miss defenders. And so, but just going off of what Jeff has, you know, wrote in the report, strengths, explosive power, pass rushing, versatility, and suddenness. You know, when this guy's in the two-point stance uh, and he can pin his ears back and just run to the quarterback, he closes ground extremely quickly. You know, the explosiveness off the snap, you know, the we talk about, you know, first step explosion a lot here. That is very, very apparent off, you know, off the screen, you know, on, on film. And so, but yeah, the, the the play strength as well, we have really, really high, the range. FBI as well, the toughness, uh, all that kind of stuff. He sets the edge as a run defender too. You know, this isn't just a a pass, you know, brush only type of player. This guy can play in all, you know, on all snaps throughout the game. And so plays with, you know, kind of his hair on fire, you know, just like we were talking about with Ivan Pace, you get that as well. The strength is there. This isn't the guy that you want necessarily dropping back in coverage as a, you know, three or four outside linebacker, which is what we have projected him playing a little bit more. And that's fine. We don't really need him to do that as long as he's rushing the passer and doing all those other kinds of things. And so I think maybe the one thing that you can say might be a weakness for him is maybe his bend. You know, he's not like Von Miller-ish, you know, where he's, you know, his knees touching the ground and he can still keep that explosion and speed. And, and maybe he can develop a few more pass rush moves as well. But the strength and the explosiveness is going to get him there the majority of the time. And so if he can keep working on those those things, round out his game, as a true edge player, I mean, we're talking about one of the best defenders in the league pretty quickly. And just throwing a couple numbers on things there, he rushed 93% of his snaps this past year, 89% of his snaps overall. I think that'd be pretty similar to what his rates would be on the NFL level. This is a this is a pass rusher. Three-point stance, about, he's at about 50% of the time he's in a three-point stance, so I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that. More of a true outside linebacker than a true... Four three defensive end type prospect, but he'll fit in as an edge in whatever system you have him in. And in just a position to the Jalen Carter taking some plays off, the Jadavian Clowney. Will Anderson has never taken a playoff in his life. He plays with a controlled rage 
And I've never seen anyone cave in the chest of an offensive guard trying to pull to an unblocked edge. He will dominate you sideways and then make the play in the backfield. It's incredible how hard he plays, and it's never, ever stopped. You know, actually, you know who I think of now that now that I think about it, since we're doing a little bit of comps here, and I'll, I'll, I'll give our disclaimer, like, take comps with a grain of salt. When somebody gives a comp, it doesn't mean we think they're the same player. It just means there's an aspect of his game that that we're reminded by and we're trying to create parallels to. When I scouted Khalil Mack coming out of Buffalo, absolute opposite in terms of like looking at the, he was just a guy who was like dominating low level competition. You're trying to figure like, does this project? And then you saw him kind of show that he was the best player on the field against Ohio State in a very memorable game that gave me a lot more confidence that he could do it on that level. That Khalil Mack against Ohio State game, that's kind of been what Will Anderson has looked like since his freshman year. Maybe not quite that. That was a particularly epic game where Khalil Mack scored a touchdown, I think, if I remember right. But a little bit of a Khalil Mack-like prospect. I think a similar build here. Really strong, twitchy guy. Good length to him. Maybe not, like, to your point, Jordan, the sort of, like, elite, elite, like, Von Miller, Chase Young traits where you're just like, oh, my God, the freakishness is is off the charts. But the freakishness is strong in this one. He is just, he's a super impressive player. He's one of those guys we're, we're talking about, you know, is he going to be a, a two-point stance type of rusher, you know, or hand in the ground. Alabama's defense was very, you know, versatile where they were, were comfortable with him up and down to even playing like in a four-eye or a three uh, when they would go odd fronts and stuff like that. And so, because they, they trust his strength to be able to play on the interior as well. And so that's one of those things where you can play in a multitude of different roles. And so that's just, you know, one of those things where you love to have it. I'm I'm excited to see where he ends up next month, and so th- this is it feels like one of those kind of can't miss players. And in retrospect, it seems obvious, but I remember before Anderson's sophomore year, Jeff Dean telling me I would take him over Kayvon Thibodeau ten times out of ten, and that's before Thibodeau had his last year with some people questioning him. Jeff Dean has been on this, and he was true the whole way. I tend to agree there that that's that's not close for me, which may be scary. And I mean, like compared to last year's number one pick, not close for me also. Exciting stuff there. All right, let's let's move back off the ball a little bit, Jordan, and talk about Emmanuel Forbes, a back-end player with a listed weight that is lower than mine. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Tell me what you what you can about the Mississippi State corner. Yeah, so Emmanuel Forbes, uh, super productive corner from Mississippi State. It seems like Mississippi State, you know, every year has one of these really young, high-end talent players. Last year, Charles Cross was only a three-year player. Same thing with Emmanuel Forbes, he's only a three-year player as well. But yeah, like you said, height, six foot, right around six foot, six foot one-ish. The weight, 166, is obviously the biggest concern here with him. But he's, you know, like I said, super productive on the ball. He's got really good ball skills. Just going over to to just kind of basic stats here with, you know, some interception numbers for him. 14 interceptions in three seasons, and then he's returned six of those for touchdowns. So uh, he turns, you know, defense into offense, scoring the ball for for your offense and, and being able to put the ball in the end zone by, by himself. Super instinctive player. He's got really good awareness and in, in football intelligence. He's got really good zone and off-man coverage ability. He's one of these guys that thrives in more in a role where he can look into the quarterback in the backfield, see where the ball is about to go, look at you know the receivers, you know, what's the route concept developing in front of them, rather than somebody that's going to be able to play more impressed man. You know, Obviously, the, the weight is going to be something that hinders him playing against guys like you know, a DK Metcalf or those types of big guys where if he's playing impressed man against them, he's going to get overpowered physically. But 
playing more on that off off uh, style coverage, zone coverage is going to be where he plays good good play speed as well. He's not somebody that's going to be lined up in the slot as much, anything like that. Closing speed is really good though. Closes on the ball really quickly, can get his hands on the ball. Transition, he kind of gets out of phase a little bit at the top of his routes. But like you said, like I said, that the the closing speed to to get back onto the ball is really good as well. So the play strength with him is going to be you know a little a little lower than you would like. But he's mentally tough. You know, he plays with a chip on his shoulder. He knows you know he's not going to overpower you, but he's going to get into your head, do the little things to try and get you off your game. And so I kind of you know put it in my last word here on his report. I think he's a starting level corner. I give gave him a, that type of a grade. Might not be the first or second corner taken off the board here. Guys like you know the the Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, or uh, you know some of those other guys, the Illinois corner Devin Witherspoon. But I think he could play in that big Banjo style defense, which is, is good for him. About half the league uh, basically does now. Half the league has a disciple of Banjo playing on the defense, playing more quarters coverage, cover two zone coverage off. You know, still obviously have to play man here and there because it is the NFL. You have to be able to play that. But I think one of those types of schemes where he can play a little bit more zone really kind of tends to, you know, his skill set and everything like that. Yeah, not a guy that, that can't play man or that he's got plenty of length. He's got plenty of athleticism, all that kind of stuff, but probably not ideally suited there. I mean, he's only played 27% man coverage over the course of his college career. Yeah, the, the true man coverage, that is, not counting combos and stuff like that. And only 18% of the time he's played in the slot, just 7% of the time in press. So some of those things that you might look for, different sorts of corner prospects, he's more of a true outside guy. And to your point, Jordan, you see him as somebody who ideally fits in either in a a zone team or a zone scheme or something that is sort of more of a a match-based type Mm -hmm. thing. Numbers-wise, things that jump out, I mean, total points rating in, in pass coverage was a 98. So I think that's pretty good when the the most you can get is 99. But other things that stand out with him, just the interception production with 14 picks over the course of three years. I mean, this guy's been targeted 150 times and he intercepted 14 of them. That's kind of crazy. And the ball skills also jump out when you you look at uh, just the statistical profile. His hand on ball percentage, 2.1%. That's good for fourth amongst corners in this year's class. So maybe not a guy that you can move inside, like lacking some of the versatility and also lacking, like we talked about, Sauce Gardner. This is not that in terms of your shutdown. We're just going to blanket you in press and we're never going to think about this receiver again. But that sort of next tier of player, if it's the right fit, he can be somebody useful. Jordan, can you talk a little bit more about his pure ball skills? Because I wrote up Cam Dancer a few years ago, and a lot of those interceptions were inflated due to the coverage packages and a lot of just gimme pick sixes. How do you feel yeah. about Forbes actually translating ball skills to the next level? Yeah, so he's he was one of these guys where you know, I come in thinking like, oh, maybe they're off tip passes, things like that. A few maybe on on some overthrows. He had one where he actually got beat. And the ball was ended up dropped by the receiver and he ended up kind of catching it, but he tiptoed down the sideline and somehow got it in for, you know, a pick six. And so, but the one really good one that stood out on film was against Will Levis this year against Kentucky. And Levis tried to throw a little just like quick route, you know, out to the outside. And he Forbes is on the outside. His receiver kind of moves in motion and he comes into the to the line. And Forbes has got his eyes in the backfield the entire time. So he sees it. Levis just basically I think it was like a sort of like an RPO. He ends up taking his eyes, you know, off of off of Forbes. He just tries to, to thread the needle, and Forbes just closed on the ball, 
picked it right at the line of scrimmage and took it, you know, uncontested the rest of the way. So that that was what really got me on the ball skills and his anticipation and kind of just his awareness and instincts to be able to see, okay, hey, I can see what's going on. I may be seeing this on film. I know this is about to come. All right, I'm going to close here on the ball really quickly to try and get get his hands on the ball. Interesting player here. I'm actually going to flip this one around on Ben, the Eagles fan. You've got two corners, Bradbury and Slay, that are running it back this year, but I'd be surprised if two of them were on the team in 2024. I'd be surprised if one of them was on the team in 2024, quite honestly. I think it's most likely that neither of them will be back there, which I think makes draft time right now corner a position of interest, especially given the depth in this year's draft for the Eagles. Am I reading that right? No, I don't think at all. I think the Slay on his way out was realer than anyone, any Eagles fan wants to believe. I haven't looked at that contract too much. I will say the Bradbury deal seems like they would have to take a hit if they let him go after just one season. So I could see him being there for the 24 year. But I think that Greedy Williams is a Desai guy for sure. And there's a reason he brought him over. He kind of got lost in the shuffle in that Cleveland Browns quarterback rotation. He needs to play outside and they have two studs on the outside. So I'm, I think that that is a kind of low-key potential takeover, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they come out with, say, three corners in this draft and next year draft combined. So it's interesting you said like he's a guy that has to play outside because that's what's really interesting about this prospect for me. When you like a guy's game a lot, but then you're talking about somebody who really has to be an outside guy, a, really, a guy who really can't move into the slot and play there, then all of a sudden, when people talk about drafting for needs, this is when needs become important in the draft. I'm, you guys know me. I'm always saying draft best player available, best player available, get good players, and then you'll figure out people are going to get injured anyway, so your depth chart isn't what you think it is. But all that said, if you're a team that has a guy who is a true slot corner who can only be a slot and also has a versatile corner that's maybe your number one that can kind of move around, then you can really afford a player like this to be able to bring him in where he can kind of have that role. If you're a team where you kind of have all outside guys and you don't have anybody that's really well suited to go inside. A player like this becomes that much less attractive for you. And then just combined with all that, teams are going to play different amounts of zone and man to begin with. Brought up the Eagles. They were eighth in the amount of zone coverage that they ran last year at twenty at uh, 60%. So a zone leaning team. And I think as long as they have Bradbury, they'll continue to be a zone leaning team. This could be an interesting fit for for that sort of a team. Uh, I would say not a fit if you're going to try to do, we want to press you and play man-to-man all day long. So check it out as we uh, as the NFL draft site gets put together. Listeners, you can check out now. The team pages are all in place going forward. So you can understand how much your team is running these zone and, and man schemes and what might be a fit in terms of these players there. Yeah, that's a great point. You never want to draft for need, but you have to draft for scheme in some way. Yep. You need, you need to fit. Then you, you know... And then you get in trouble when you do things like when I was in New Orleans and we went from Greg Williams to Steve Spagnolo, and we went from just needing guys who were physical and fast and could play man-to-man to needing well-rounded corners that have this, you know, this sort of skill set that we're talking about right here. That just changes everything. Means I could talk about how Desai and Gannett both came from the Vangio tree and Mixed in with the Saban principles, there's there's a lot of run over, so the defense should remain similar, and um, I'm, I'm feeling excited. All right. I think we had one more player we wanted to talk through. Trenton Simpson, rem- coming back over to the linebackers, 
I don't think we have an official grading on him yet, but Jordan, is he is he trending towards being our top linebacker available in the draft? He's going to be one of one of our top ones. We came in with a 6-6 grade, which is basically a a two-down type of player and, and everything. And so this is this is a really intriguing prospect because he he's kind of one of these potentially high ceiling, low floor players just because he's more of an athlete trying to figure out where we want to play him versus, you know, a football player where he has a, a defined position. So Trent Simpson's from Clemson, 6'0", 2-0, so 6'2", 235, put on a show at the Combine. He ran the 4-3. So this guy is a, a true athlete playing on the football field. And so athleticism, range, closing speed, he has all those types of things that go within his game. His first two seasons at Clemson under uh, Brent Venables, he was playing more in their star kind of role where Isaiah Simmons was playing at uh, for a couple of years. And then this year, that they had a new defensive coordinator that kind of moved them back inside to be a true weak side linebacker playing in a more a traditional inside you know role and everything. And so this year, he had to learn how to really play the run in the box. And so he did not have a, a great year you know, doing that. His instincts and awareness against the run were kind of everywhere. There was a couple of games against one against Syracuse this year where they like to do uh, kind of some long QB, you know, read actions, you know, some midline type of principles with their uh, their mobile quarterback. And he would be seen just running with the running back and the quarterbacks running right behind him. And so, and, you know, into the open field. And so uh, the instincts and awareness need to get a lot better. He's he's a, he's a physical player, especially out in the open. He, 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 lets his, he lets his presence be known as a tackler. However, in the box, taking on linemen, trying to stack and shed, that needs to get a little bit better as well. And he can be a little too fast as well. So he you know, can overrun some pursuit angles and things like that. But I think one of the biggest things that kind of works in his favor moving to the next level is defensive schemes are getting so multiple with their linebackers. He's a guy that plays more moving downfield. Can he rush the passer? He can still play in coverage, you know, the hook curl zones, all that kind of stuff. But this guy might be somebody that you want to get, you know, moving downfield uh, and, and trying to blitz on third downs and stuff like that. So this is a guy that you know we just want to get his athleticism on the field, have a defensive coordinator, have a plan for him, and then you know try and get him into the best uh, position to to try and make a play on the football for the defense. So a little bit different than the linebacker we talked about with Ivan Pace earlier. This is you know a, an athlete trying to figure out where we want to play him versus yeah about the, the opposite like a hair on fire production guy with out ideal measurables versus four three at, at yeah. two thirty five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. So, like I said, you know, tr- you know, tremendous athlete. We, you know, he's got really good size and everything. I w- I feel like he is going to be a little bit more of a will at, you know, transitioning into the NFL. He can still play pretty well in coverage. And then I think, you know, his, his added bonus of being able to, to, to rush a passer, blitz from depth, you know, add on to that kind of thing, you know, for a defense is going to really be something that he can do at the next level pretty well. And then if all else fails, he can be a special teamer, that that kind of stuff that translates well over. And so this is one of these things where the 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 right place is what he needs. So, you know, obviously, Asan Reddick is one of the best pass rushers in the league, you know, right now. But it took him a while to get there because, you know, Arizona didn't know how to use him. They were trying to. Right, what's the exact role? Yeah. So th- this is this type of a player where maybe he's, you know, a three, four stand up guy. Maybe he's an off ball will. It really just depends on where he goes and where he can develop into the type of role that he needs to be in. That's a good shout. I see Hassan Reddick as almost like what when I first came up in the league, we would have called like a Sam prospect, a strong side linebacker in the 4-3. Yeah. Somebody who will really play on the line of scrimmage a lot if you're in these over-under fronts. 
That was a Scott Fujita for us when I was in New Orleans at first there is one of the names that comes to mind. Maybe that, because that's kind of how Hassan Reddick, I think, found his fit in sort of the hybrid stuff that the the Eagles do. Maybe something like that is here. Because here's what you look at. You look at his numbers. The total point stuff is kind of middling, except when you look at pass rush. 99 total points rating as a pass rusher each of the last three years. So there's nothing... There's nothing confusing there. This guy's got to be rushing the passer at least some of the time. Then you also look at the pass defense stuff. This is a guy who's only given up nine completions on, you know, over a thousand pass snaps, 1400 pass snaps in his career. So he's been a strong player in coverage when he's been asked to do that, at least as the primary defender. So I I think that's interesting, but he has been blitz. He has been blitzing 31% of the time throughout his career. And so Without all of those blitz snaps, I don't think you and you you see such low completions numbers. Without knowing exactly what he's going to be doing, where he's going to be coming from, it's hard to, to account for a player like this. And then, yeah, twenty seven percent pressure rate when he actually comes—that's a really good number, even for a linebacker. So, I I see this. I see what you're saying in terms of this being just figuring out the role. The this the fit is going to be a really important part of whether or not this player can be successful. Yeah. So I, it's just one of these things where you know. We've seen him play a lot at Clemson over the years, and you know this is one of these things where I, I wasn't particularly, you know, happy going into the season that you know he was going to be changing roles. Obviously, it was probably going to be better for him to t- kind of take on that, and maybe ch- translates to better, uh, you know, going into the league. But I think this is somebody that is, that you just want to be able to put in his best uh, role, which is, which is playing in space, letting him read and react to the ball, and letting him fly, get there, make a tackle. Also rush the passer a little bit, get him in disguise. He's going to be one of the best athletes on the field when he steps on to the field. That, you know, in the NFL, pretty much right away. And so this is one of these guys where you you want you want him on the field. You just got to figure out how we're going to get on him, get him on, and then how how he develops as a player overall. Very interesting prospect. Keep an eye on him for sure. Before we get out of here, Jordan, it's hot seat time. We got to talk Panthers. The Panthers made the move, traded up the number one pick. I- I think in terms of like compensation, I thought it was pretty fair and what they gave up and what they got. So I don't really care about the, did they win the trade? Did the Bears win the trade? We'll find out when Justin Fields develops and whoever they draft develops. But I wanted to hear basically a couple things from your perspective. First of all, what did you think of the move? And where do you, do you think that the Panthers are aligning themselves in the right way to compete going forward with the new coaching staff and everything that's coming in here? Or would you have liked to see a sort of different path there? I was excited when the when the the trade was announced because I would much rather be in the position of holding the cards and being able being the one to make the decision at number one rather than you know two years ago when they needed a quarterback and they traded for Sam Darnold they were at eight and they decided to still pass on a Justin Fields and take a defensive player and so even if that was you know still kind of said to be seen like we need to figure out okay is Justin Fields a true you know plus quarterback I think he will be but you know we still ended up getting a good player and JC Horn out of that pick and so like you know I can't really complain but I'm much happier that the the people in place making this decision seem to be have their head on a little bit more straight than than the last guy that was in the chair in that rule and so I think with you know Frank Reich you know obviously a head coach Thomas Brown, the new OC they got from the Rams, I think is is going to be a uh, candidate here soon. You got Jim Caldwell, who's not even going to be a traditional coach. He's a special assistant, basically. 
that's going to help as well. And then you got Josh McCown who's getting head coaching offers, you know, and, and, and looks or not offers, I should say interviews and, and looks before he's even truly a coach in the NFL, I think is, is definitely going to be good as well. And so, and a lot of the things that they've done in, in free agency, I think is going to help out as well. Obviously they trade away DJ Moore, which would obviously help the, the quarterback that is going to come in, you know, no matter who it is. But I think, you know, as much as I like DJ Moore as a Panther, he is a number one receiver. He might be better as a two, but I think he's somebody that you feel like you can replace at, to a certain extent at, you know, and get a better prospect potentially. And so I would much rather have the chance at taking the franchise quarterback than having DJ Moore and then possibly not getting the quarterback and staying at nine or getting the guy that you don't really have as much conviction in to, to make that decision at, you know, whether they ended up trading up to four or seven or, you know, whatever. And I would much rather have the decision to say, okay, hey, we love Bryce Young or we love CJ Stroud or we love Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. Like, I would much rather have that be the decision rather than having to wait for it because that's what they tried to do the last few years. And I would much rather have that the number one pick if they'd be, you know, sitting back and waiting uh, on draft night. Right. Well, I mean, hopefully it's like the Bengals versus the Chargers a couple of years ago. Joe Burrow at number one, really good. Justin yep. Herbert falling into your lap, also really good. But going back to what you said there, what stood out to me is sort of your trust in that that list of names that you reeled off of people that not only have impressive resumes, but I think have really positive rep- reputations in league circles mm-hmm. as being good people. Mm-hmm. And you know the combination of feeling like you have smart people and good people in charge who are going to get their guy in here and build that way. I can see I can see why you like that. Even if it costs you a, a beloved Panther, you can understand the roster building philosophy of the defense has some really good players on it. Let's try to keep building from there and let's straighten things out up front and with the quarterback on offense. And once we get those into, into place, filling in receivers isn't isn't always the most challenging thing. These guys exist. They're like, yeah. maybe not the super top end, but receivers are out there. I mean, once you fill that other stuff, I think that's I think that's doable. Yeah, and I I am very, very happy with their offensive line go- coming in to this year. They ended up keeping you know the offensive line coach, bringing him in with the new staff as well, uh, very well regarded. And they're going to basically return all five starters from last season. Last year, they started the season with Pat Healthline at center, where they just they recently cut, but he got hurt halfway through the year. And then Bradley Bozeman came in, started the rest of the way. They re-signed him in free agency. They've got two bookend tackles right now. Left guard is probably the biggest concern with Brady Christensen. He didn't have like the best season and, you know, he was a tackle in, in, in college and now he's still kind of transitioning into more of a guard role. But, and then they've got Austin Corbett, who's one of the better right guards in the league as well. And so as a unit, that's one of the best, I think, coming back, you know, looking forward to the next season, coming back at, you know, in, into the league. And so whoever the quarterback is, they're going to be well protected on paper right now. And so, I feel good about what that's going to look like next year. Uh, and so then you bring in, you know, Deuce Staley to be the running back coach and associate coach. And then he brings his guy, Miles Sanders, that he had with with, in, uh, with the Eagles before moving to the Lions. And so then you get, you know, some more veteran players to be able to round out your weapons because it was pretty scarce there for about a week. And then so they add, you know, Thielen and Hurst, you know, to the, to the mix. And they still were able to keep the 39th overall pick, which is huge. There's probably going to be some type of receiver that can kind of, you know, take the top off the defense that should be available around then. Or we've seen, you know, 
receivers get moved. I think the biggest thing you can see right now in the league is if you want a true number one receiver, you either have to draft him or you have to trade for him. And so if that DeAndre Hopkins is available, he's a Carolina guy. You know, he grew up in South Carolina. Could they move the 39th pick for him? Now that that's something that it could be on the table as well to about whichever QB you have. And so I don't even know if he costs that much because honestly, yeah, he, he's going to, he needs to get paid and yeah, teams have had issues with that aspect of him. Yeah. So, I mean, even if it doesn't cost that, that's something that you could possibly look into. So like we said, kind of with the Panthers, they gave a, a decent haul away. Obviously they still give, give away two first round picks, two seconds and DJ Moore. But this year they still have a second round pick. They still have a third round pick. And they're all they're going to be missing next year is the first, and then in two years a second. So they're still going to have assets to be able to move to try and improve the roster and build around whichever young QB that they have. And then we should talk about that one. You mentioned that you could have taken a, a drive yesterday to meet with the eleven or so Panther staffers that were at the Ohio State pro day today. As we speak, we're getting ready for Alabama. I think, well, what do we got? Levis tomorrow and Richardson next week or the other way around? Yeah, it's young today. Yeah, young today, Levis tomorrow. Yeah, Richardson next week. So, but yeah, was, I live in Columbus here. So, yeah, yesterday was a big day here with the Ohio State Pro Day. You know, my, my first impression when the trade happened was, okay, this is for Shroud because it just, it seems like coming from the combine, it looked like, okay, hey, Stroud is the type of guy that Wright might like a little bit more size, uh, accuracy, experience, all that kind of stuff. But Bryce Young might be the best quarterback just because he's got like this kind of it factor about him and the playmaking ability and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, it's, but it's the size that holds you up. And so I think it's, it's a pretty much a two man race that it's up to two with Young and Stroud. You know, I think there's maybe a little bit of smoke there with Anthony Richardson. However, you know, Frank Reich has said kind of in his press conferences and things like that that he likes quarterbacks that have at least, you know, a thousand snaps, you know, two, three years experience. That's, you know, even I think even more snaps than that. I think he may have even said 2000. And that's not something that Richardson has. And so it would be, I'd be hard pressed to, to feel like that they would take a chance on Richardson at one and roll with Andy Dalton for a year. Cause I don't know if Richardson could play right away. I tend to think that this is a, a Stroud Young kind of competition and I would give the hand to to Stroud right now. I think that I think that makes sense to me. Just looking at the players, we'll get more into quarterbacks next week and talk about the breakdown. But I think at a high level you can kind of separate it into the producers, Bryce Young and, and CJ Stroud versus the tools guys, which is Levis and Richardson. But when you look at where that sort of Venn diagram overlaps, CJ Stroud has has the most of those traits with 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 Bryce Young, no matter how much you might like him, you're having to overlook, make him as sort of an exception size-wise. With Levis, you're having to make an exception accuracy-wise. Same thing with Richardson there, and in also the experience with Richardson too. With C.J. Stroud, you don't have to have any of those exceptions. And that's usually the way teams are trying to think about scouting isn't trying to find necessarily this player's the best, but doing a process of elimination. So I, I think you're probably right. Although the hype around Bryce Young, and it's easy to see why, like it was with Kyler Murray. Uh, it reminds me of that Kyler Murray-ish where this might just be one of those times where people are just saying, yeah, it's not the it's not the way that we used to draw it up, but this this is that dude, basically. 
I think I think they already know. I know they're doing their work these next couple of days, meeting with everybody, having dinner and stuff like that. I think they already know. Yeah, I, I think they do too. I, you obviously have to do your due diligence and keep the smoke screens up and try and you know see if somebody can you know if Houston has been linked to Bryce Young probably since the end of the the season. So you know, can you convince them to come up to one? I would just stay away from that. You know, I would just take the guy that you want. You're not doing the draft day move. Yeah, I, that that just it seems a little uh, like a fantasy. So, but yeah, I mean, you, you have to do what you have to do to to try and you know, you know, play hardball and you know, you know, do the business side of things. But at the end of the day, I think you just have to take the guy that you want. So, and and, and don't kind of mess with it. And I don't think the human side can be overstated. Matt, you touched on it. So many of these quarterbacks at the top of the draft come into poor foundations. Whatever happened with Matt Rule, that's over. I don't think you could have two better people than Frank Reich and Jim Caldwell to have a young quarterback learn the ropes in this league. And they, and then the other side of that too, who these people are, not only where they land, but who they are as people is going to be a big part of their development. We're talking about the starting quarterback for your franchise. This this has to be, if this isn't somebody that's the best worker on your team, then your team's not going to have good workers. So the peer leadership aspect and, you know, from what I understand, in the case of Stroud and Young, at least, these guys get really, really strong reviews from from their teammates and and the people that work with them. So all of it fits into the puzzle. All right, guys, this has been fun. I like talking ball. I'm excited to do this some more over the next couple of weeks. For now, we will sign off and get out of here. Teased it a little bit, but next week we'll be talking more offense, definitely getting into these quarterbacks with Nathan Cooper. Jordan will be back. Ben, you'll be busy with other stuff. But we will be having our internal conversations throughout the week that I'm excited for as well. And then keep an eye out for the SIS NFL Draft site. That'll be up at nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com. In the meantime, check out our partners at the 33rd team. They've got a lot of their aspects of their draft site powered by SIS at the 33rd team.com. And we will keep you in the loop as we are releasing more and more aspects of all this free draft coverage. Four. Our producer, Justin Stein, my guests, Jordan Edwards and Ben Herkosh. I'm Matt Maticharian, and thank you for listening to the Sports Info Solutions Off the Charts Football Podcast. <laughs>